Hi, I'm Adewale Adejumo. I build businesses and I also teach people how to take control of their lives. You are listening to the Epilogue Buddha podcast where I'll be bringing you some of the best personal growth mentors and entrepreneurs on the planet. And they will be sharing the best ideas on personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. All right, everyone. Welcome to Apple Library Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, it's because you, my friend, have a vision. You have a vision for your life to not be as it is, but how it could be. And our goal is to help you. Make, our goal is to help you gain the skills from the simple to the seemingly impossible. And the guests that we bring on are people that I truly believe have the insights and knowledge to help you convert your ideas into concrete reality. And that transformation is what this podcast really is about, which brings me to my next guest. If you have ever thought about what it takes to start a business and exit over and over, then you want to listen to, to, to today's guest because he has built multiple startups and had, and had multiple successful exits. He's the author of How to Start a Side Hustle and host of Slow Hustle Podcast. My friend, I would like to welcome investor, author, and global keynote speaker, Nick Aralambas. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's a pleasure to have you. And I'll be like, Buddha, you know what? I'm just going to jump straight, uh, straight, straight into the questions, okay? Because the first oh. thing I want to know, and I'm sure people who know you and who have followed you all these years is to find out if there is a method to your success? Um, if there's a method to my madness. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is. There is. And recently, um, as you mentioned, I've put a lot of that method into a book called How to Start a Side Hustle. Um, I started my first business when I was 16. And uh, for the next 10 years, from 16 to 26, kind of bumped my head against the wall and figured out how to build things. Um, and between the age of 26 and 36, the next 10 years, I kind of refined that model and method. Um, but the truth is the methods are different for everybody. I think uh, experience is bigger than and better than advice. So I'm loath to give anyone advice. Um, what I like to say about advice is advice is like asking the lottery winners what numbers they won with. It's different for everybody. Every luxury winner has different numbers. Um, so what I can do is, is talk about my experiences. And um, I mean, I've, I've started tech companies. I've started fashion companies. I've exited them. I've failed a hell of a lot. Um, so I think that the method is really uh, more of a way of life. It's more of how I live than how I build businesses. And that can be summed up my worldview, which is very focused on uh, permanent curiosity and a willingness to try. So a lot of people get stuck with the trying. They don't try. They're fearful of failure. They're fearful of what people will say. Uh, I just have never had those fears. I always just try things. And if it ends in a failure, I'm like, cool, I learned something. Let's build the next thing. Um, I don't believe you get one shot at doing something. I believe that this is the only life we get. I don't believe in an afterlife. So I try and do as much as I can in the life that I'm consciously aware of. So I've written two books and I'm writing my third. I host a podcast called The Curious Cult Show. I have a YouTube channel. I've started businesses. I've failed. 
I do all sorts of things. And that's my worldview is try because failure is not fatal. If you are not going to die from the thing you are willing to try, then try it. You have nothing to lose. And that's, uh, that's my method, really. That's absolutely, you know, like that's something for everyone to actually take note of that in order for you to actually succeed at something, you have to put yourself out there. You have to try and you just have to just show up because that's what, you know, separates winners from losers. Winners are people that just keep on showing up. You know, um, Nick, are there, are there rules that you feel that every entrepreneur must follow? Because, you know, there are rules, principles, and values um, for anyone that is, you know, that, that wants to achieve success in what it is that they're doing. Uh, no, no, I don't believe that there are rules. I, I believe that rules were made up by people just like us, and those rules can be remade by people just like us. So if you right now believe that the rule is you have to start a business with your savings, then you're wrong. You don't. If the rule is you have to hire someone, you don't. There's a million ways to do things. And again, with um, what I said about the lottery numbers, asking me what works for me, happy to tell you, but it might not work for you. You have to figure out a whole variety of things. Uh, for example, what is your definition of success? Because it's not the same as mine. My definition of success is the freedom to travel. I want to have the freedom to pick up and travel whenever I want. That is my number one definition of success. If I work in a job that drives me 20 hours a day, seven days a week, and is tied to one location, then I'm not successful. If you, however, work in a job that is nine to five and gives you the time to work with your kids in the evening and go cycling on the weekends, and that's your definition of success, great. It's just not mine. So before we even worry about the rules of building a business, the first and most important thing for me is what does success look like for you? Because when you're in your 20s, you think it's a billion dollars and 10,000 employees in 50 countries. And when you get to 36, it might be more than enough money to cover your salary and go on a holiday once a year. So before you understand the rules of the game, figure out what game you're playing. And that for me starts with your definition of success, what I call success triggers. What is the trigger that will let you know you have become successful? What are your triggers? Honestly, um, my trigger is a variety of things. The number one, the number one success trigger for me is freedom to travel. So that when I when I have the freedom to travel, then I know that I am currently in, in my success. Um, I like to not be answerable to anyone. So I consider myself to be unemployable. Um, if I don't want to check email for a week, it really won't make a difference to my life. So I'm not a slave to my email, I'm not a slave to anybody. Um, I also don't have office hours. I can work whenever I want. I, if I want to work on a Saturday at 3 p.m., I do. If I don't want to work on a Monday at one o'clock, I stop. Um, so those things are important. And if you are paying attention, uh, your listeners are paying attention, you'll start to understand that my triggers are all around my time. Um, because money you can make more of, time you cannot. You cannot make more time. Today is the youngest you will ever be. You will never be younger than you are listening to this right now. So if your definition of success is a big fat house, let me tell you, there is something called the hedonic treadmill. It's the hedonic treadmill. Go Google that. Basically, it means that when you get more things very shortly afterwards, you are as happy as before you had the new thing. And that applies to failures too. 
people who have uh, incurred massive injuries about 10 months afterwards, they're almost at the same level of happiness as they were before the injury, even if it means they were paralyzed or whatever. This is called the hedonic treadmill. And we have to avoid thinking that buying things will make us happy. And those are the rules that I kind of try and move away from. Those things I try and back away from. You know what you just said now? I have another way of putting it, which is that we, we all always exist in a simultaneous state of lacking and abundance, okay? So no matter how wealthy you are, you're always going to be existing in that simultaneous uh, state of lacking and abundance. And how you feel about life, like the level of happiness is always going to be based on what it is that you focus your mind on, mean, which means that if you have a gratitude practice, you're always going to see a lot more of the abundance. And if you are someone who is who doesn't practice gratitude, who is not grateful, you'll always be focused on what it is that you are lacking. Okay. So yeah, so that's so that's just another way of just putting what you just said now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Said said another way, it's also a level of expectation versus reality. So a lot of people live in a state of complete dissatisfaction because they believe their expectations are higher than what they have. I should be a millionaire, but you're not doing the work. I should have a bigger car, but you can't afford one. I should have a hotter wife. Well, you're an ugly fat guy. <laughs> These expectations, it's the expectation versus reality. It's in that gap between expectation and reality that you are the most unsatisfied. So there's two ways to resolve that. Lower your expectations, or change your reality. And if you're not doing either one of those, you're living in a permanent state of dissatisfaction. So I try and really minimize my expectations of the world, people, things, and raise my reality so that I supersede what I thought I could do. So for example, a very simple way to think of this. Today, I have 50 things on my to-do list. You screwed. You're never going to get all 50 things done. Then at the end of the day, you're going to have done two things. You're 48 short. You're unhappy with your day. You're frustrated with life. You think you don't have enough time, but actually your expectations were wrong. You should have only tried to do three things. Then you would have gotten to two and been 75% happy and been like, that was a good day. So it's where that gap is that you need to resolve how you live for me at least. That's really important. You know what, um, Nick, with, you know, like in um, in your life, right? You have started quite a few businesses, which you've also managed to exit, and that is like that is like the that's like a that's that's something that is unreachable for quite a lot of people. Where a lot of people start businesses, but they struggle to exit the businesses. How have you managed to start businesses and exit? Like, what rules do you follow? Like, or what? I mean, like, you don't want to give people rules, but what have you done that has allowed you to successfully exit multiple businesses? Yeah, I think that uh, this answer, again, as frustrating as it sounds, is very contextual. So in my 20s, building businesses in the tech world, raising lots of money, it was about build the biggest business you can build and then find someone to acquire it from you or just shoot the lights 
start and expand globally. And doing that in South Africa is extremely difficult. So there are not that many acquirers. It's not a very big addressable market. When you raise money, the way that it works is your investors expect 10 times their money within five years. And that's just a general rule. Sometimes it's 20 times their money in two years. Sometimes it's five times in 20 years, whatever. You need to turn your money over. And that becomes really com uh, complicated and uh, puts a lot of pressure on the founders. So again, I would say that there is no hard and fast rule. But what I have learned in terms of exiting businesses is exiting businesses is about relationships more than it is about businesses. So to exit a business, you need a willing buyer and you need a willing seller. And the willing seller has to have leverage and the willing buyer has to have leverage. But more than anything else, they have to have a trusted relationship. So if I want to go and sell my business to Facebook, I can't just knock on their front door, send them a proposal, and then they buy my business. The chances are they either know you, they've met your founder, they know your board members, they know your investors, you share an investor, and then the relationship develops over time. Um, it's very rare and very odd when a bigger business will all of a sudden knock on your door and go, hey, we'd like to buy you. Um, so my advice, that it's not a rule, it's, it's just my experience, is build your business network in a very authentic way and don't ask people for stuff. Um, once you've built up this really authentic, genuine business network, when you're ready to sell your business, you can start putting feeders out and say to people, hey, we're profitable. I want to move on to the next thing. I need a CEO. Or I want to do a joint venture. And they start helping you. And I do this for other entrepreneurs in my network. I'm helping three or four different entrepreneurs raise money right now. I'm helping one find a joint venture because they're in my network and I've spent 10 years building it. So I would say that there is no hard and fast way. Of course, there are business brokers. Lots of my friends who've started ad agencies will go to a business broker and say, hey, Max, I want to sell my business. Do you have interested buyers? Those are a little bit more difficult because then it's just about the numbers. How much profit do you make? We'll give you three times your profits. You're going to stay in this business for three years. Here are your targets. If you hit them, great. If you don't, bad. End of game. Hmm. Those are not really how I like to do uh, deals, but they can work really well if you've got a solid, profitable business. Have you done those before? I personally haven't. No, my business exits have all come from network um, in some way or another. Okay, um, Nick. So in your day, right, as an as as Nick, a person who values time, because I've been listening and I can see that one of the things that you value more than anything is time and your freedom of your time. Like, how do you? What do you do? How do you start your day? Because you also do so much as well. How do you manage to do all those things? How do you how do you keep your balance? How do you stay healthy? You look like a pretty fit guy. Anyone who is going to watch this on a video. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I don't have the stomach I used to have, so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think it's it's an it's an interesting one because a lot of people um, they suffer from a few traps. So the one thing I want to highlight on a high level, if you're a startup entrepreneur, young founder, or someone building a business on the side. Um, I call this the sacrifice fallacy, the fallacy that you have to sacrifice your mental and physical health to build something of value. You don't have to do that. You can build anything of value while you look after yourself. And this fallacy plays out in the following way. Uh, most entrepreneurs believe that they put themselves at the bottom of their priority list. And then everything else fits on top. And that's the way that they do it. That's fundamentally flawed. 
because you should put yourself at the top of your priority list because mm. you will operate at the best level if you are well-fed, you are well-rested, you are exercising, you are mentally fit, you've done everything to make yourself the best version of you. If you are that best version, people want to work with you. If you're an asshole, no one wants to work with you. If you haven't slept properly, if you aren't eating properly, if you aren't training, you're a worse human. And you might be listening to this and think, no, I don't need to exercise. You're wrong. You were just wrong. The science is in my favor. If you aren't sleeping more than six hours a night, you are wrong. You are not operating at the best level you could operate at. If you're not eating properly, you are fundamentally not operating at the best level. So here's how I exist. And listen, this is how I exist maybe 80% of the time. 20% of the time I screw up and I eat crap and I don't exercise, but 80% of the time, this is my day. And I'll give you the last two days as an example. I am sleeping, sleeping, sleeping before 10 o'clock every night. I'm in bed between nine and 9.30. I read for 30 minutes. I don't look at my phone as much as I can leading up to that. And then I sleep for eight hours minimum. If I sleep for seven hours or less, I'm an absolute idiot at work. I'm terrible. So I wake up between 5 and 5.30 uh, every morning. Then I meditate for 10 to 15 minutes as I get up. That's the first thing I do. And then I go and walk my dogs for 30 minutes out in the road, out in the world, get the brain going. Then at the moment, because I have lower back pain, I'm doing 10 to 15 minutes of yoga and stretching every single morning, seven mornings a week. Then I exercise and do cardio for 30 minutes every single day, uh, seven days a week, sometimes six days a week. Um, then I have my first cup of coffee. Um, and then while I'm sitting having my first cup of coffee, I do some writing. I check, catch up on some reading that I saved the night before. And um, at nine o'clock, I check my email for the first time in the day. I don't get a lot of email, so I don't really have to reply to a lot of email. And then I get started on my to-do list. And that all repeats itself again uh, the next morning. That's fantastic. I hope anyone that's listened to that um, also like just realizes that in order for you to perform at the tip-top um, tip top. Jeez, I just lost my words. <laughs> at, you know, like in order for you to perform, you know, at the top of your game, you need to one, look up to yourself and make sure that you are, you know, that you're feeling good because, you know, I can totally relate to everything that you just said. And it's because I was once in a position where I always thought that in order for me to achieve what I wanted to achieve, all I had to do just would just work hard. You know, I, I thought working 16 to 20 hours a day was something to, um, you know, to be proud of, you know, until I actually grew up, um, until I became more mature, until I, until I gained more wisdom. And I actually realized that, hey, actually, you know what? Um, sleeping at 8.30 in the afternoon, sorry, in the, in the evening or 9 o'clock in the evening is actually the boss, you know, not sleeping at 2 a.m., um, you know, waking up early is the boss. Not sleeping in late, you know, doesn't, you know, it um, does not like doesn't allow you to actually perform well. Um, reading, working four to five to six hours or six, or seven hours a day is actually the boss. You know, not um, not slaving away the entire day because one of the things you know, uh, one of the things that that also makes an entrepreneur as well is one being able to actually work with people and being able to actually being able to trust people 
to um, to work with you on the company that you're working on, the business that you're working on, and for you guys to just bring together all of your best skills and ability to build a company. You know what? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think, uh, if you don't mind, I think it's important, though, um, it's easy for people to listen to how I've structured my day and feel anxiety and pressure about it because they don't find the time or whatever. It's taken me years, five years at least, to work towards this method that works for me. You can't rush. And equally, there is research that indicates that we only have a certain amount of willpower as human beings. So you can't change everything today. Pick one thing, fix your sleep, then do that for three months. Once that's fixed, fix your diet, do that for three months. Once that's fixed, move on to exercise, then move on to mental fitness. This is a long game. You can't fix it all in one week because you will fail and then you'll be pissed off again. So just be slow, be calm. This has taken me five years of slow and careful work and exercise and practice and experimentation to get right. You can't get it right overnight. So pick one thing and make that your goal for the next three months. Absolutely. What do you do for mental fitness? So meditating every day uh, absolutely helps. It's number one on my list for how I consistently work on my mental fitness. Um, at the moment, I'm also reading up on um, a practice of philosophy called Stoicism um, and reading the ancient Stoics like Marcus Aurelius and Seneca. Um, and they help you understand that you should find an emotional middle and not react to things too dramatically and try and help yourself live in this middle. Um, but then I also see a psychologist at least once a month. Um, I believe in psychology as a way to help entrepreneurs prepare for their businesses better. I call him my mental coach. Um, if athletes can have coaches for exercise and for health and diet, why can't entrepreneurs have coaches for their minds? So my, my psychologist I've been seeing for about four years on and off whenever I need him to help unpack the boxes in my brain so that I can get access to them better. Um, and then I also surround myself with friends who are like me. I surround myself with ambitious, intelligent, um, sensitive, emotionally vulnerable um, people who are willing to help me and give me the kinds of advice and experience that uplifts me. And this is a very key thing. If your friends and family are dragging you down, then you don't have to put up with them. You don't have to listen to them just because they're your friends and family. Promise you now you can get new friends. Promise you now you can find new people to replace your family. If they are not at your level and are dragging you down, try and find other people. And I've done that consistently. Get rid of people who give you shit. Get rid of people who don't help you become the kind of person you want to be. That's how I help my mental fitness. I love that. I love that. Nick, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming to Feel Like Buddha podcast. Is there, are, 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 there any, are there any closing words you'd like to leave us with? Um, no, maybe just I'm most active on LinkedIn. So you can go and add me, Nick Harry-Lambis on LinkedIn or visit my website, nharry.com. Um, but outside of that, I think most people are fearful of the idea of failure. I want people to reframe failure as a lesson, as a learning, and I want you to do things. The opposite of success is not failure. The opposite of success is not trying. So get over it. Try something. Go out and start something today. I'm Adewade Dejumo, and this is the Epilogue Buddha Podcast. 
I would love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Facebook, you can find me at Adewale Adejumo. On Instagram, at Wale Adejumo. And on Twitter, at Wale Adejumo. If you enjoyed that episode, please subscribe to the Epilogue Builder Podcast so that you do not miss new episodes we will release. And I will see you on our next episode.